afternoon. Excited to look at the last theme in the book of Proverbs together before we move into a new series or new into winter fair next week and then we're going to look into a new series. Excited to do that with you and to see what God has in store for us. So let's pray and commit this time to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, book uh, full of wisdom, as Van just reminded us of. Uh, not of promises, but really of uh, what's seen in the world, what works in the world, uh, and how we can live for you in this world. We thank you for all the different ways that, uh, that just seem so practical um, and, and just seem so wise. And so help us today, as we consider our words, as we consider our speech, as we consider our tongue, uh, to be, uh, I guess, ready to be challenged, perhaps, uh, to ready to hear you speak to us uh, so that we can use our words for your glory. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, kids can say some pretty hilarious things. I'm going to show to you as we begin a few quotes that adults um, have posted up about things kids have said to them. Ready? Uh, read with me. First one, kid says, please hurry, mum. I want to get to school early to play outside. Mum says, okay, hang on, I'll get dressed. Kid says, no, it's okay, you can go like that. Lots of other mums look homeless in the morning. Mum says, okay, let's do this. Another one. Uh, a recent story of our two-year-old, our mother-in-law minds him and had to bring him to a funeral. As the coffin was being lowered into the ground, he let out a shout, all gone. It was sufficiently loud that it was heard by all and sundry. I think that means everyone. There's that two-year-old. Last one. Five-year-old says, Mom, I love you so much, I wish there were two of you. And that way, if you die, I'll still have you. Mum says, thanks. Now, uh, that's all a bit of a good laugh, isn't it? Uh, we know, right? We know that words can be pretty brutal. Um, and while it's cute when kids say stuff like that, it's not so cute if they're still speaking like that when they're 40-year-old adults. We hope that in time that these kids learn to use those words, right? Learn to grow uh, as they go older, uh, to, to develop how they speak. But that's not just for kids, Right, that principle is it. Growing in wisdom with our words isn't reserved for just the young. If we're honest with ourselves, we all need to grow in wisdom with our speech and with our words. And the Bible would agree. So as we come to this last theme of this book, this book of Proverbs that we've just heard speak a whole lot about the topic, and that's just some of it, um, it's a really big theme in this book. From chapters 10 to 29, on average, about 20% of the verses, one in five of the verses, speaks about our words, our speech, our tongue. Uh, after the topic of wisdom, which is, you know, massive in the book of Proverbs, the next theme that comes up the most is words. And that makes a whole bunch of sense, right? Words, as we think about how we live in our world, how to live rightly in our words, words are so essential to us. We think words, we hear words, we speak words, we read words, we write post words. It's all around us. And the fact that we do that, that's unique to us, isn't it? Words and our capability to speak in this way makes us different from all other creatures. Sure, there are other animals that can communicate using sounds. There are plants that can communicate using chemical signals. But none of that communication comes close to what we can do with our words and with our mouths, the flexibility, the depth that we have. It's one of the ways, uh, using the words of Genesis, that we bear the image of God. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you know that from creation to fall to salvation in Jesus, till Jesus returns, throughout all of that, God's not silent. 
When we speak, we bear some resemblance to our God who speaks. Now, obviously, it's not identical. How we speak isn't how God speaks identically. It's more of an echo. It's a resemblance. But like God, our words can both create and destroy. We know this, right? Our words can create confidence. We can add to reputations. We can build trust with our words. And on the flip side, our words can very easily destroy those things as well. And so, friends, if words really surround us the way that it does, if our words and our speech are part of how we resemble the image of God, our words really matter. And we need a bunch of wisdom on the matter as well. And so we'll get into a survey of looking at some of the verse, or all of the verses that Van read out for us and what that has to say about how we might live wisely. But as we begin, I've got a few, I don't know what else to call them, I've got a few introductory remarks for us to think about before we get into it. Uh, the first thing to say is uh, to remind us that even though everything, we've looked at a whole bunch, we've looked at a lot of topics the last few weeks, right? We looked at work, um, we looked at money, we looked at sex last week, and today we're looking at our words. And when you hear themes like that week to week to week to week, eventually it kind of just sounds a lot like practical advice on what to do and what not to do. And that's all we see it as. Now, there's truth to that, right? But remember that even more importantly in the book of Proverbs, at the very heart of the book, it's a call to us to live well. But not just live well, to live wisely for God, under God. Right? Every aspect of our lives, and we've only chosen to focus on the topics of work, money, purity, speech, this last month, they're all aspects of our lives that can daily show us whether we're walking towards God and true wisdom, or we're walking further away from God and towards folly. Right? It's that choice, remember, between uh, woman wisdom and lady folly. And so there's no neutral ground where we get to stand just still. It's always a choice, daily. See, one of the things that the book of Proverbs really challenges is any belief that believes that God just somehow only cares about spiritual stuff. You know, things like faith and reading the Bible, and prayer, and church attendance, and even theology. And that's all kind of what God cares about. And everything else we do in life is kind of all, you know, free game. Do what you want. The book of Proverbs challenges that because it shows us that God, while He certainly cares deeply about those things, like many books in the Bible as well, the book of Proverbs shows us that that's not all it is. We see a God who cares deeply about every part of our life. God shows us that every part of our life can be lived well and lived wisely for Him. And so the Proverbs aren't a collection of do's and don'ts. When you put them together, they show us portraits of lives entirely devoted to God. God has these here for us for our benefit so that we learn to live lives appropriately revering Him. And so if you're visiting us today, you're checking out the Christian faith uh, if you're investigating or maybe reinvestigating, firstly, a warm welcome to you. But secondly, you've come therefore at a really great week. Why? Well, because you'll see portraits from the Bible of how imperfect believers should strive to live in the real world. Today, in thinking about their words, as people in a living relationship with God. And that's huge. You get a, you get a really good picture of that. Now, sec the second intro remark is... Um, as we speak about this theme of words and speech, um, that's going to impact all forms of communication that we do. Right? That includes all our instant messenger apps, 
how we communicate on social media, how we communicate when we play games, how we reply to emails, how we communicate non-verbally even, right? All that stuff is part and parcel. And we're limited in time today and we can't address everything. And so I'm going to invite you to actually have to do some hard work afterwards as well in discerning how the things that are in this book apply to some of the ways that we communicate regularly. Yeah? And lastly, with the intro remarks, know that on a topic like speech and words, um, there's a lot of weight speaking on that from up here because I'm an absolute hypocrite on this sort of topic. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I've failed at it this morning. I'll probably fail again this evening. And I'll likely fail at it multiple times tomorrow. And if you're honest, so will you. And we'll come back to this later, so don't overthink it at this point. But it's worth mentioning that even though um, I'm up here or whatever, I need to hear this just like everybody else, if not more. And that's the case for every sermon every preacher gives. But on a topic like words and speech, I think it's worth stating that really clearly right at the start. And so with those things out of the way... Uh, Let's have a closer look at the book of Proverbs and what it says about our words and our speech. Um, God, through the writers, tells us at least three things that we ought to know about words. uh, They want us to, God wants us to, know the power of words, know the marks of of wise words, and know the path towards wise words. So the writer of the Proverbs, firstly, wants us to know the power of our words. Um, Words are powerful in a couple of different directions, right? Words have the power to pierce deeply, but words also have the power to spread widely, right? They have the power to pierce deeply. Um, In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, we see that words have this tremendous ability to pierce by wounding, right? Um, Proverbs chapter 12 says, uh, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So even even today as we speak, right? When someone says something pretty crushing about somebody else, a third person might respond by saying, shots fired, right? Wound, um, even if it's intended as a joke. Words can pierce by wounding deeply, right? That saying maybe that we knew or heard or ta- was taught to us growing up that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We know that's rubbish, right? Words can do in us far more harm and damage than what can be done on the outside in many ways. Right, Proverbs chapter 25, 18 captures that, right? Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. See, words, words just don't pierce by wounding. Words can also kill. Right? That's why they're described like a club, a sword, sharp arrow. They're weapons. They're instruments of death. Um, last year, uh, there were a bunch of researchers from the universities of Oxford, uh, Swansea, and Birmingham who published a study um, uh, reviewing previous studies on cyberbullying. They, they looked at uh, more than 150,000 uh, under 25-year-olds across 30 countries over a 21-year period. And one of the conclusions that they came to was that cyberbullying made young people more than twice as likely to self-harm or attempt suicide. Right? Twice. More than twice. Now, that's, that's tragic, right? By any measure. Words... Words can literally kill. Words have been triggers for suicide. Words have been triggers for murders. Words have been triggers even for war. Psychologists have been telling us and teaching us that words also have the capacity to kill in other ways. Right? Being called things like stupid or not worth anything by the right person, by the right individual, 
can lead people to spend a lot of their lives trying to rid themselves of these doubts, self-doubts that have been planted deep within them. Right? Those words can kill and destroy people's sense of value and confidence. Their self-esteem can be crushed. In the words of another proverb, words can crush the spirit. And so Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says that that saying, sticks and bones can only break my bones, can, uh, but words can be soul-destroying. Our very spirits, our emotions, our psychology, our souls can be pierced deeply by words. But, right, that's all, that's all very harmful. It pierces wounds, it kills. But it can also pierce deeply by bringing healing to us. Words can pierce people deeply by bringing healing and life as well. So, you know, very simple phrases from the right individual. Again, um, whatever the phrase is sometimes, from the right person can bring remarkable healing and life. Right? Um, if a mentor says the right thing to you, if, if someone that you really respect, a peer, a teacher, a, your spouse maybe, your boss, a dear friend, a well-intended critic, if they say things like, that right person says stuff like, great job, or that right person says, I love you, that can make a world of difference. Mark Twain once wrote that I can live for two months on a good compliment. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true, uh, but you get the idea, right? Proverbs 15.4 um, it says the soothing tongue is, like, is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Right? A soothing tongue, like a, tree, like a tree of life, is a tree of life. That's meant to bring us back to Genesis, back to the Garden of Eden. See, what's the writer saying? The writer's saying that our very words, our speech, it can create life. It can create paradise for other people. We can create with our words extraordinary good. And so the power of words uh, in one direction can pierce deeply to wound, to kill, or to bring healing and life. So that's one direction. It also goes another direction. It spreads widely. Right? Words are powerful because it can spread widely. Um, if the power of words to pierce deeply is like an earthquake that shatters the integrity of structures and the foundations of the earth, and the power of words to spread widely is like a bushfire lit in the forest. If it's uncontrolled, the fire just spreads from tree to tree instantly, scorching everything in its path. Because words can you know, convince people. It can convince people of ideas. It can change perceptions. Words can spread. Uh, the writer of the Proverbs says the impact can be so large that it can lead to an entire city's blessing or destruction. But, perhaps more importantly for us, as a community of believers, as Sweck uh, Church, the power of words to spread widely can bless and destroy our community. It can bless or destroy our friendships. It can bless or destroy our families. One of the ways that we see that most clearly as, the, as words, the power of words spread quickly that, that leads to the destruction of those really great things is through things like gossip. Yeah? That's why Proverbs has so much to say about gossip. Just one verse. Right? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 says that a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. We all know that gossip is spreading negative rumors about others. We all know that the intent behind it is always to paint a negative picture of somebody. It's to injure them. It's to bring them down. That, that stuff, it's, just, it's obvious to people. 
It's obvious to us. And we know that when it spreads, it's impossible to reclaim. It's, it's like trying to, take, trying to take back gossip. It's kind of like you go out to the open out there, you tear open a feather pillow and watch the, fil- the feathers go all over the place, and you're trying to recollect them as the wind is blowing them all over the place. It's impossible. Gossip does that. That's all very obvious to us. We know this in principle, and yet, gossip doesn't stop. Why is that the case? Um, Proverbs gives one possible answer. It says that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. I had to look up what the word morsel is. I have no, I had no, no idea what it meant. But a morsel is a small mouthful of food. Right? And so gossip is like a choice mouthful of food. Gossip is like fancy finger food, fancy canapes. It wets the appetite because it looks good. It tastes delicious. But it only lasts a moment because ultimately it isn't anything substantial. It's enticing, in other words, even if it's just for a moment. See, that's one way gossip continues to happen, even, we, even though we know it's not a great thing to do, because it's so appealing in that moment. Now, if we know that, that actually becomes a very helpful tool to test whether something is actually gossip or not, right? Because let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell what's motivating us to, to both say things and to hear things. Right? And so here's some questions that we can ask ourselves. If, if, if we have information that you want to share, if you have information that you want to share, if it's negative, it's condemning the way that gossip is, is there any pleasure that you take from telling it to other people? Chances are, if there is, it's gossip. If you're on the receiving end of hearing these negative comments, do you take any pleasure in receiving them, in hearing them. If you do, chances are it's gossip. Gossip's tasty. It's choice canapé. And we would be wise in those instances if we recognize that to bite our tongues and or say we'd prefer not to hear it. If we're giving or receiving news that's negative, that's condemning, if it's really not trying to gossip, shouldn't the only feelings we feel be ones of pain? shouldn't be pleasurable. And so, friends, the writer of Proverbs wants us to know that words have great power to pierce deeply and to spread widely. And so to follow the sagely wisdom of the Spider-Man movies, it tells us that with great power comes great responsibility. And so we know that words have this immense power. How can we be responsible with our words? How can we be wise with our words? What marks should it have? Let's move on to our second point. Know the marks of wise words. Um, We have at least four descriptions, I think, of our words um, in order for them to be wise. Our words need to be honest. Our words need to be gentle. Our words need to be timely. And our words need to be restrained. Um, Let's have a look at the first mark. Wise words are honest. Now, um, According to Pamela Myers, who wrote a book called Lie Spotting, uh, we are lied to up to 200 times a day. Um, According to her stats, when you speak to a stranger, it's likely that there will be three lies said within the first 10 minutes of your conversation. Uh, I don't know how she she managed to uh, measure this next statistic, but in marriages, um, apparently you lie to... 
on average, you lie to your spouse in one out of every ten interactions. Uh, It gets worse if you're unmarried, by the way. Uh, That number drops to one in every three interactions. Crazy, right? Crazy. Now, uh, with lies abounding all around us, we might be expected just to be numb to it, right? Numb to the fact that we're lied to, numb to the fact that we lie to others. And yet, when it comes to the people we care about most, when it comes to matters we care about most, when we know we've been lied to, when, when our lies are discovered, it's crushing. Now, the writer of the Proverbs tells us that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now, I take that to mean that words that are honest are, are satisfying emotionally. Right? They're like a big hug because it comes out of a care and a concern. We all need those types of words, that, that care, that are concerned for us, both as we receive them, but also as we give them. Even those in the highest of powers um, aren't immune. They need it. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. right? Those in authority, those who are wise, sorry, that are in authority, know that in order to rule well, they need people around them who are willing to be honest with them. They don't need a bunch of people that agree with every thought and decision that they make. They need people that, out of loyalty to them, are willing to even disagree with them if need be. See, friends, the other side of the coin to being honest with our words is to be brave with our words. Yeah, It's difficult to say things honestly at times. It takes extra effort to say them at times, especially if our personalities are those that prefer not to rock the boat too much. But if we want our words to be wise through being honest, it will require bravery when appropriate. Um, Better is open rebuke, the writer says, than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. When criticism is constructive, when it's appropriate, a true friend will offer and be brave enough to offer correction openly. And if we want to be wise, we'll, we'll be open to receive this criticism and even learn to appreciate it. Right? Those wounds are things we can learn to trust. The worst things in those moments are those that um, the worst thing in those moments are those that just continue to flatter, that are willing to lie to your face even though they disagree with you. They're like the enemy that multiplies kisses. To keep silent is like loving a friend while hiding from them. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wise words are honest. Now, wise words also need to be gentle. Yeah, they need to be gentle. Um, Proverbs gives us a few reasons why. Um, A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. So a gentle answer, it allows tempers to cool. It turns away anger. It turns away wrath. It avoids the competition of who can yell the loudest. I don't speak from any experience there. In contrast, a harsh word, not a harsh sentence, one singular word, a harsh said harshly, can erupt anger. See, um, that's one reason why we need to give gentle answers. It allows tempest to call. Another reason is that gentle words are actually incredibly powerful. Um, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. 
See, even though a gentle word stings less, even though it causes less pain, a gentle word is able to break the most hardened substance in our body. In other words, gentle words have the ability to break through the most hardened of resistance as well. It might take time. It might take persistence. But the bone over time might just break. Now, from what I understand, when you've got a kid crying um, by, you know, and, and they're just yelling and they're bawling in front of you, what you shouldn't do, I think, is start to cry back at them. You, know, you don't just start to yell and, 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 and wail in front of them as they're yelling and wailing at you. Uh, you don't start yelling at them either. At least, yeah, anyway, I don't think so. You're far more likely to stop it with persistent gentleness, yeah? with persistent care, with persistent tenderness. And if it works for a child, chances are it will work for all of us. A gentle word is a wise word. So wise words are honest, they're gentle, they're also timely. Um, I don't know about you, if you have been attending a community group with us and you've been studying through this book, um, it can be a bit of a hard slog, right? Reading this book can be difficult to do, um, especially um, the chapters um, 10 through to 29. It's like a whole bunch of just wise sayings and truths that um, can mean very, very little, if we're honest, because they're truths that are just generalizations. Yeah? They're generalizations of the world around us. Now, that makes it tough. Tough to digest if you're reading chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's difficult. But if you read Proverbs, not because we're looking at it in a series or you're doing it in your Bible devotions, but coming to the book seeking wisdom because you've got you know, a particular situation in mind that you want wisdom in, chances are that what begins as a generalization on the page could end up leaving a lasting impression because it connects to the situation that you actually want wisdom in. And instead of just being general words, general truths, the proverb becomes timely. See, the writer of the Proverbs knows that it's one thing for our words to be accurate. It's one thing for it to be true. Yeah? It's another thing, though, when it's spoken at the right time and in the right place. It's entirely different when the words spoken to us actually match our circumstances. The weight of those words suddenly become much more meaningful. Um, that's why a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? And, like apples of gold in settings of silver, is a ruling rightly given. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. I take apples of gold in settings of silver as a good thing. Yeah? Rulings that are given rightly are great. But it's even better. It's even better when you've got a listening ear to hear that right ruling. The, the Proverbs stress the importance of choosing the time and the occasion for our words. When we speak is just as important, if not more important, than what we say. Even the most priceless truths can fall uselessly to the ground if they're said at the wrong time and the wrong place. To steal a rhyme from an, from an American journalist, if your lips would keep from slips five things observed with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Yeah? Timely words, they're wise words. Um, fourthly, wise words are restrained. 
They're restrained. Um, the righteous and the wicked, they're compared with how restrained they are with their words. Um, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. See, the, the wise, what do they do? They pause. They weigh up. And then they give a response. What do the wicked do? Well, they just splurt things out with little to no thought. The word gush, that's pretty vivid. I picture like a fire hydrant just gushing and spraying out high-pressure water. The wicked do just that with their words. It's it's an immediate knee-jerk. It's an ill-considered and blind response. They gush out words with their mouths. See, the wise, in other words, listen. And they think before they respond. And by doing that, they're weighing up what they might say. They're weighing up what they won't say. They're weighing up what's most helpful. They're weighing up what might be unhelpful before they respond. And you know what? They might even pause a conversation and pick it up another day if need be. See, I think in this way, to be restrained um, with words connects back to our last mark, that, it, that to be timely with our words. How does, how does it connect? Well, by being restrained with our words, we can actually think about when and where might be the best place and time to speak. It helps us grow in being able to be more timely. Um, but the wise, you know, they're not just delaying and thinking and then, they'll, and then they open the fire hydrant and just let it all out in one go. No, after weighing things up, they're also restrained in how they say things too. Right? Proverbs 17.27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even their words, they're spoken in restraint. Perhaps they've thoughtfully chosen things to say. Maybe they're economical with their words. They're restrained in both their weighing up, they're restrained in how they speak. Um, this particular mark, restraint, um, it's probably even more important in our culture, where we are being spoken to in so many different ways, potentially all at once. Right? At any hour of the day, we could be sent text messages, emails, messages from all sorts of instant messenger apps, posts and comments from our social media accounts. Speaking of emails, many of us have multiple email accounts. Right? And people can reach us by calling whenever and just about wherever in the world. And so perhaps it would be wise in this sort of environment to show some restraint. Hold off from replying and answering certain things. Just to be considered in your thoughts and considered in what you say. Especially if it's important to you. Even things that are you know, really time sensitive, that, can, that, that seems overwhelming, even those things can usually be held off an extra minute or two. Just so that you can gather your thoughts. Friends, wise words are marked by honesty, by gentleness, by timeliness, and their restraint. Now, just quickly to apply a little bit, um, it might be helpful to keep this list somewhere that you can access again at some point. Because we need lists like this because um, everybody here is going to be different in where they're strong and where they're weak. Um, Some of us here might be very prepared to be honest and blunt. It's almost second nature, right? But for example, you might need to be reminded to be gentle in your honesty. You might need to be reminded to be restrained in the way that you speak. If not, there's a risk, um, even if you're well-intended, to uh, come across as obnoxious in your honesty. 
Others of us here might be very prepared to say very little, to be very restrained with our words. But perhaps it means that therefore you're rarely honest and brave in what you say, which then makes it very difficult to be timely in what you say to others because you're just more likely to keep silent, which means others don't receive the healing and life-giving nature that God made our words to be. See, lists like this are helpful to remember which ways we tend to lean so that we can be wiser with our words. Um, Let's move to our last point. Know the path towards wise words. Um, As I said right at the beginning, um, this is really difficult, right? Everything that we've talked about is really difficult. It's it's easy to understand. It's very difficult to do. It's, It's not very simple. Our words, our speech, our tongues, they're difficult to master. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that might be the case, right? We might be tired. And so it's difficult to restrain in our words. We might be angry, so it might be difficult to be gentle. We might be impatient. We might just be hungry, right? Like those sticker ads say, we're not ourselves when we're hungry. It could be other things. The point is that it's very easy to set off with our words and move into the territory of the fool, This is difficult, thinking about our words and our speech, to actually live consistently. Now, while all those things are real reasons why it's difficult for us to become like the portraits in Proverbs that wisely follow God, um, the book actually gives an ultimate reason why it's difficult to master. And the ultimate reason is this. It's that our words and our speech, they flow from our hearts. See, according to the book of Proverbs, our issue isn't really our words. The issue is our hearts. Some of the Proverbs make that really, really clear. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The tongue and the heart are directly meant to be compared. They're actually synonyms. There's other places that do it as well. We looked at this just before. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Heart Mouth, meant to be synonyms. See, the issue with our words that come from our mouth is that they flow from our hearts. That's the issue that Proverbs points to. Now, heart, heart isn't referring to our literal hearts or our emotions. Heart is a way the Bible describes the core of our very being. Who we are deep, deep down. That's why our words are difficult to master. That's why our speech is difficult to master because it's not just our words that need transforming in wisdom. Ultimately, our hearts do. Our hearts need transforming in wisdom. Jesus, later in history, will echo the same thing. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. See, friends, the path towards wise words isn't just fixing our words. If we really want our words to bring life, to bring nourishment, to bring healing the way God designed them to be, then our hearts need fixing. Trying to become wise with our words just by focusing just on our words is a bit like trying to get water from the bottom of of a tap with just our fingers. Just kind of scraping at it, and it'll work a little bit. You get a little bit of water, but you won't get very far with it because the water won't be nearly enough. But if we focus on where the problem really is, the condition of our hearts, that'll be like getting water by turning the tap on first and then seeing the water flow as it was intended to be. Friends, our hearts need transformation. 
and the book of Proverbs, and really the message of the Bible teaches us that we can't do that by ourselves. We need help beyond ourselves for something as big and as deep as heart transformation. We need God's help. And so in the book of Proverbs, the wise writers remind the people of God, return to Him. Revere Him. Fear Him. So that your hearts might be changed. But we, standing on the other side of the cross, we have Jesus who is far greater, far wiser. And according to um, John chapter 1, the very word of God made flesh. Show us this. See, friends, just as our words reveal and express our hearts, the core of who we are, Jesus, God's word made flesh, reveals and expresses God perfectly. We speak imperfectly. We wound, we damage, we hurt with our words and our hearts. But Jesus' words never did that. Jesus' words, they were always honest. They were always gentle. They were always timely. They were always restrained. You just have to read the four historical biographies of Jesus to see how he spoke to strangers, friends, enemies, even family. His words always expressed and revealed God perfectly. But yet this very Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, suffered the worst of consequences for our words. He was pierced deeply by our words. He was wounded by them. He was killed and crucified because of words. And yet, because he died and rose in our place, our entire beings, our hearts, including our speech, can be healed. We can have life. And knowing this is liberating. Right? As I said at the beginning, everything we've talked about today, there's so many balls to juggle. Like, how, how do I, my words, my speech, like, how do I, am I thinking about this, am I thinking about that? It's difficult to do. And I'm a hypocrite because I failed, I'm, I'll fail to say what I should, I'll say things that I shouldn't. But because of Jesus, I can also say, you were wounded so that I could be healed. See, friends, the path towards wise words comes from that message. Over time, that'll change us at our very depths. Over time, that'll change our hearts. If a gentle tongue can break a hard bone, then the gentle words of what Jesus has done for us can break our hard hearts. It'll gradually make us wise, and it'll gradually overflow to make our words wise. Let's pray.